the following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 96 Elven Femininity She fought back the emptiness in her stomach, adjusting her grip upon the pole arm under his direction. Amazar could see Lilina by briefly parting the cover on his lantern. She had donned a chain shirt and waistcoat, and she was thrusting experimentally with the weapon, which had been Treya's. Lilina would be well ready in case the worst befell them. She was exhausted. This was plain to see, and she had taken many wounds given her by the Grumark. Yet Amazar's interest was piqued, for it was clear that, despite this, she had every intention to fight on until the very end. For a moment, the man admired the lines of her small form, trying to discern those curves that marked her as female. Elven femininity was subtle, but as the dwarf stood occupied at the watch, Amazar was free to partake of a long look, identifying through her armor the lines of her breasts, her hips, her belly. He paused. Lilena was with child, yet there was no outward sign of it. It was early in the pregnancy, for elvish gestation was long, and further, insemination by the two fathers had only just occurred. But Kai was in the void, and Orson had been sealed in a tomb of stone. Neither one was coming back. Lilina turned her head, and her blue eyes met his directly. This he had not expected, for the girl was blind, and he knew she could not see him. Even so, she smoothed away a strand of brown hair. He noticed it was growing out. Amizar, she said. Thank you for saving my life. I'll always remember your kindness. Of course, he said curtly. She was not a beautiful woman, not in the classical sense, but she was attractive, and her gratitude had touched his heart. He was beginning to feel protective of her more than before. Something had happened. He was silent. She set down the weapon and approached him, finding him with a hand, then going close to him, tentatively at first, before finding herself at last against him, lowering her head and nestling it in against his chest. I have something to ask you, she said. Something important. The young woman paused. He was listening. He was taller than she, and in this moment, it comforted her. Before, she had not trusted him. Not fully. But all of that was beginning to seem so long ago. By putting himself at risk, in saving her, had he not proven himself now? She closed her eyes and pushed her head further in with his robes against her face. She decided that he had. If I told you that I needed you again, 
Would you help me? Please? Both of them knew the answer, though neither spoke. Yet Lelena was overcome with relief when his arm went around her, and then the other, holding her close as he lowered his head onto hers. The dawn of an unexpected pairing, and a desperate, deadly battle in the dark. All of this and more on tonight's Iron Realm. The Iron Round, copyright A. Lenzo, can be found online at theironround.com and at theironround.blogspot.com. Maze Master's Wisdom, Wisdom, Wisdom. Iona has been lost to the maze. And though the Iron Realm is deadly, the Iron Realm is a game I play, too. And when I lose one of my characters, I'm faced with a question, was my strategy sound? So tonight, I'm going to take a look at some of the events that led up to Iona's death, and consider the question in full. So one of the things that seems counterintuitive is that Yona was a level 4 character, head and shoulders above the rest. And so why did she die? I'd say the first thing to point to is that her life points were quite a bit lower than anyone else's at a mere 7. And this made her vulnerable from the start. And she wasn't the only one. Paola had somewhat lower life points too. Life points life points. So perhaps this is the first question. Why did I send them into the maze without healing them first? Well, to understand this, we have to go back to the Grumark encounter and realize that all the healers who were there were tied up saving the lives of those others in the Sapphire Chamber who were faring even worse because of the fact that their attentions were turned on those who were falling in that room, they were not able to escape. Whilst the rogues and many of the others were, and on the part of the rogues, this is because of not only positioning, but also something of a speed advantage. Now if we move on to consider the circumstances that occurred after the Sapphire Chamber was sealed, we recall that the tribe of the wizard had no healing at all, no healers amongst their number, and no relics with similar powers. The only other healing available would have been to rest up for several days, but this was not an option either. For thirst levels a penalty to kill after only three days without. And perhaps worse, the lack of food and water would give a cumulative minus two penalty per day to the group's speed in the maze, making it harder and harder to reach the waterfall cavern without being discovered by creatures and cut down. So for all these reasons, the water bearers had to make their trek right away. Any delay would put them all at greater and greater risk. 
I suppose the last question to pose here is whether Iona should have been left behind with Amazar, Lilena, and Master Brevik. But as it turns out, those who were left behind had even fewer life points, Amazar having only one, Lilena having only one, Master Brevik well into the negatives. And I believe Thora was also amongst those who stayed behind, and her life points were only down to three. So considering the circumstances, it seemed that Iona, with Seven, was indeed more ready for the fight than any of the others. This plus her ability to deliver a decisive blow with the sword, and her plus one melee bonus, meant that I really did need her on the front line with her sisters. So after the consideration of all of this, I believe my decision to send her into the maze was sound. So, the second vulnerability of the group was the fact that I sent them out with no armor. And this made them extremely vulnerable, with each of the girls having only an armor value of 7. Iona normally would have had an armor value of 4, in consideration of her leather armor, and also her high dexterity bonus. And there is a question as to whether the higher armor value could have saved her. But the reason that I decided to forego armor was to increase their speed and, with a move of 10, only two roaming creatures checks were required in order to reach the waterfall chamber. Whilst, if I had allowed everyone to go in their full armor, it looks like nine total rolls would have been required instead, for the group would have been reduced to a speed of only one. These penalties for deprivation really can be deadly, and so, I did decide to take a risk by leaving the armor behind, but considering the numbers overall, the chance to make only two roaming creatures checks instead of nine honestly seemed like the better odds to me. <laughs> can you believe that the two roaming creatures checks that I made each came up with a creature? I would say there's not any way to mitigate bad luck like this. And, as you will see, there was further bad luck to come that I think no one could have ever predicted. So, when the encounter with the bloatworms was first discovered, it was shown that the group was surprised. So I suppose you could make the argument that I should have been on my toes and had the girls using their ability to listen. Although, unfortunately, I don't think that bloat larvae make any sound at all, so in this case, their advantage would have been nullified. The fact that it was ruled that the group was taken by surprise allowed for a free attack by the bloatworms, and the dice showed fully three slugs for every member of the group. And truth to tell, <laughs> it could have been more than that. Now these are only level one creatures, so I was hopeful that they could all be dispatched quite quickly. But a number of them latched on from the very beginning, and particularly Iona took the worst, receiving a nat 20. That, according to the notes, was a direct hit against the face, which put her in immediate peril and also blinded her. Going back over the combat, I find that each member of the Waterbearers was immediately forced to face their own threat. 
And so no help came to Iona until quite later in the game, with the assumption by me that she should be able to hold out for help, having seven total life points, and, if worst came to worst, a further five life points that she could take going into the unconscious range. Yet I think it's the automatic damage done by the bloat larva that really sealed her coffin, with as many as three life points being dealt to her every single round, and the rogue struggled to even find her sword, which truly she was never able to accomplish. By the time the others had come to her, it was too late, and although there was much help granted by the group in trying to ward off her remaining bloat larva, there was a serious string of misses as well, which condemned Iona in the end just to die. Once it was clear to me that Iona was beyond negative six, I decided to rule that it had successfully burrowed inside, for with no healers and no other options, she was as good as dead anyway. This was an unexpectedly difficult fight, and it was a surprise since all the creatures were only level one. But I suppose too there is a lesson to be learned here, and it is simply that no character is invulnerable, no matter the levels, and unlike in other games, just because your character has achieved some power doesn't mean that they can't be laid low by the fickle malice of fate. Tribal Matters It is the 8th day of Sakaris, and it will be 11am by the time the group leaves the waterfall chamber. They are suffering a minus 2 deprivation penalty, but they have each taken their fill of water and resupplied the water skins that they have as well. Of the bloat larvae that they have killed, they are able to recover 10 of these for food which they are able to make ready by severing the heads off of each and squeezing the contents out into the pool. What remains is washed hurriedly as it can be done. The bloat larvae are stuffed into sacks to be returned to the tribe of the wizard in their hopes that it may sustain them a little longer. Paola is extremely disoriented from what has just passed, standing shakily upon her feet, and having recovered now to one life point. Kana is also at one, whilst Tenek is at negative one, and Bardar is at ten. Marks is at three. They realize, in nearly no time at all, that Iona has not survived, since her navel begins to leak blood and pus and fluids. The halflings and the dwarf converse amongst themselves, realizing that her body is contaminated and will sometime soon burst open to release a new generation of glowworms. This cannot be permitted, for if an infestation of these creatures is allowed to take root in the waterfall chamber, then the group will no longer have a safe source of water so they consider various ways that they might dispose of her body. Burning is considered 
but is unlikely to reach the larva inside of her or its eggs, especially since Iona is soaked already from her swim. Throwing the body in the water also bears little chance to succeed, since it appears very likely that the bloat larva can swim and may not even be affected by immersion. Ultimately, it is decided that her body will be taken into the maze and left there, where it shall be more likely devoured by some passing creature, eggs and all, which should cancel the threat, although none choose to linger on the image in their mind. Seeing their sister pass has upset Hana and Paola badly, and Bardar spends his time with them trying to talk them down as the others work through Iona's gear for redistribution to the rest of the tribe. Your sister was strong. She survived. She sacrificed for us. And the gift she gave will never be forgotten. Steady now, Hana. Steady now, Paola. Let's carry ourselves in the way she would have wanted. We can get the food and water home. Iona has 24 gold, which I'm giving to Paola. Paola also gets the 10 electrum and the 10 foot pole. The six torches are given to Kana, and I will give the tinderbox to her as well. Iona's rope I'm giving to Marks, and I will also give him one set of thieves' tools. Bardar can have thieves' tools also, and I will leave some for Tenet. Iona's spear is given to Paola. Her cutlass and sword are given to Marks, and she will give nine crossbow bolts to Tenet and ten to Bardar. Kana is given five daggers one of which is coated in cobra poison, and one of which is coated in pit viper poison. The silver dagger is given into the care of Tanik, and the rest of her belongings are left behind. With sadness, they regard her small, lovely form one last time, cutting loose several locks of her hair, which they weave with their own, taking also some for the others, should they reunite, hopefully soon. They take only a short time to pay their respects before, quickly as they can, re-equipping the skins and their gear, whilst Marks takes the slight girl's body over his shoulders, returning her into the maze, which will be her final resting place. Paola takes charge of the smaller tenant and the others help her with the gear. Just before leaving, the light on the torch is put out, and Marks scans the room one more time for any additional bloat loaches, or even their eggs, that may have survived and could potentially be in the room. Meanwhile, Iona's body has already begun to go cold, except for a warm spot in her center, which reminds him, and all of them, that her parasitic attacker still survives inside of her. It took two roaming creatures checks for the water bearers to reach the waterfall cavern, but I'm going to rule that it will take them four to return because they are further encumbered with the body of Iona now and also Tunnel. Here come the first two rolls, a four and a two, led through the dark 
by Marx's rope. They reach position 1511, where Iona's body is left at the crossway. I think I'd better stipulate further that the group is indeed listening for any threats that may be coming as they continue further into the dark. So, two more rolls. By three and a five, by 11.40 a.m., they will return to the vicinity of room six. But before I can tell you more, it will be necessary to review the experiences of the tribe of the wizard who has been alone and vulnerable during their absence. Wizard Amazar is character level 3 now, having taken his share of level points in order to become the most powerful wizard of the tribe. Let's proceed with his stat advancement and see what may come. Strength. A 4 dexterity. A 2 constitution. A 2 charisma. A 2 intelligence. A four, and wisdom. A six, wisdom again. A four. Amazar's wisdom advances from a five to a six. And although this score is still quite low, he no longer has a minus two penalty, now only a minus one. <laughs> you know what I say, a lesser penalty is just as good as a bonus, so that is indeed something. Amazar's life points raise to a 12. And of the tribe, he is now the first to soon acquire a spell of spell level 2. These are more powerful than spells of spell level 1. So let's roll the dice and see which it is that he has acquired. Here comes the roll. The spell he has been granted is no evil. With this ace up his sleeve, Amazar should have a chance to know which beings or objects are imbued with the darkest evil auras or the direct intention to see Amazar dead. Well done, wizard. One more advantage is yours. Now that you have reached character level three, where shall these new powers take you? And might that path signal the destruction of you and your tribe? While the water bearers fight for their very lives, and as Iona and Temek fall, the tribe of the wizard defend room six of Alpha One, and though they too are dying, they endeavor to hold the position until the bitter end. It is 1020 on the eighth day of Sicaris, and a minus two deprivation penalty is upon the tribe of the wizard for lack of food and water in the prior days. At position 23 across, 19 down, Thora 
is carefully searching around the corners with her eyes. She has spread a vial of oil over position 2320, expertly spreading it out over the stone floor. Thora is wearing her chainmail armor. She has a cutlass at her side and a crossbow at the ready. With the dwarf's gift of dark sight, she is searching the corridor to the east and west for any creature that may come. Just behind her is the wizard Amazar and the elf Lilena. They are at the same position, though somewhat in hiding, but ready to spring forward the moment they might be needed. From Amazar's store, I'm striking one flask of oil, for this is the one that has been used by Thora. Meanwhile, Amazar also has a lantern lit, but he has all but covered it, allowing them all to stay in the dark. Amazar is wearing his wizard's robes and holds fast to his jeweled staff. He is discussing strategy with Lelena, who wears chainmail and has a polearm. The elf girl is fully blind, having had her sight taken from her in the maze. And so, in the dark, she is just as helpless as he. But if they are attacked, the wizard intends to reveal the light quick and guide her in her actions in order to fight with whatever may come. So, of course, the notes show that the water bearers will be returning at 11.40 a.m. So this means four roaming creatures checks until that time. And I'm showing the wizard Amazar to have only a single life point. Whilst Lelena also has only one, and Thora has three. Hmm, they're in really terrible shape. Their only chance, if creatures should come, will be to set the whole thing on fire. So I'm going to say that Amazar has yet another flask of oil, and that instead of holding his jeweled staff, that he has that beside him on the floor instead, whilst meanwhile he is tending his own flask of oil, which he has lit, concealing the small light with his hand. Try this. This he will move forward with and drop into <laughs> the pool on the floor, igniting it instantly if he is called to do so. And so it is time for the rolls. And during the interim, no roaming creatures come. It has been a deadly and a dangerous gambit. And for the tribe of the wizard, it appears at first to pay off. Although once Bardar and the others arrive, and once they have retreated back into room six and spiked shut the door, it is clear soon to see that Tenek has fallen and that one of the triplets has not come back. And where is Yona? says the wizard to Bardar. And to this, the halfling, as he unslings his water skins, can only hold his head in shame. It is clear to see that Paola and Kana continue to be deeply distraught. But the wizard goes on to explain how they are fortunate that two still are remaining, and that of these, they shall surely forget everything of their sister's death by the morning. Even so, strands 
of Yona's hair are passed out, and the elf girl visits her companions, braiding what they have into each of her tribe mate's hair, alongside strands from Treya, from Echo, and from Syrah. We have only this way to honor them, says Bardar. But this we shall do forever. So for the moment, no food and no water are taken. It is desperately important for the group to ration it as long as it may possibly stretch. As far as water goes, no death saves will be visited until the third day without water has passed. And so, of that that they have recovered, I estimate that the worst amongst them will be able to hold out at least another two days. When the night approaches, the watches will be as follows. 10 p.m. Thora and Bardar. 12 a.m. Marks. 2 a.m. Kana. 4 a.m. Paola. And 6 a.m. Amazar and Lilena, who will rise then in order to do their spellcraft. This would allow eight hours of sleep and an uninterrupted stretch for all, if they are so lucky. Lilena is beginning to feel some companionship with Amazar for having saved her life in the Grumark's chamber, and the elven girl, who is with child, confides in the wizard that without the attentions of Orson this night, she must have the willing seed of another. It is not fully clear if the seed of a human will sustain the child within her, but she asks this favor of the wizard nonetheless, and so when the hour is right, he grants it. Starting at 12 noon, on the 8th day of Sakaris, I am rolling now the appropriate roaming creatures checks. But oh, let me stipulate a couple more things that may be helpful to the tribe. Let's say that just outside the door, a pool of oil has been formed with yet another flask. Let us also say, during their watches or waking hours, are spending all attention listening in case there is an approach from outside. With that said, I'm hoping to improve the odds. Let's leave nothing to chance this time. Roaming creatures checks. Through 10 p.m., none indicated. Now the first watch, Thor and Bardar, no creatures. The watch for Marks, no creatures. And Kana's watch goes by uneventfully. Paola, a two, they are safe. And Amazar and Lilena spend their time in spellcraft the following morning. To this point, none indicated either. Let's do the remaining checks until 12 noon. And no roaming creatures have been found, so every one of them is considered to have had a full 24 hours rest. So I award one life point to each amongst their number, which will also allow Tamek to rise to zero life points, and then shortly after, to one. The group is at a minus four deprivation penalty now on the ninth day 
of Sakaris. By my count now, Amazar has two life points, Lelena has two, Tamek has one, Thor has four, Marx has four, Kana has two, Paola has two, Bardar is at eleven, and Master Brevik is at negative three. By his inspiration from the night before, and by his study with Lelena on the morn, Amazar has transcribed a new and more powerful spell into his spellbook. It is called No Evil, a spell of spell level 2, which can tell him definitely if a creature in the maze or a personage intends his death. This has been added to his available spells, for he now has No Evil and Door Denial times 2 at the ready. Meanwhile, and with Amazar's careful help, Lilena has also been inspired with a new spell, the spell of illumination. Painstakingly, over the hours, she and Amazar work to transcribe it into her spellbook. And although she is blind, she still remembers the language of magic. And although careful attention is needed, this task is able to be completed. I'm going to rule that she has the spell of illumination available to her now. Whether she will be able to memorize future spells with Amazar's assistance, I've yet to decide. But due to her inspiration, I will say that for the moment, she has memorized just this one. I'm going to roll through. Let us see if we can take another day of uninterrupted rest and recover more life points for the tribe of the wizard. I'll be putting Temek on the fourth watch with Paola from here on in, and I'm adjusting Amazar's oil supply, taking one flask further for the one that was spread right outside the door, and another flask, having expended this in the lantern during the time he and Lelena were studying. I think I'll expend yet a third one to refresh the pool outside the door, bringing him now down to nine total flasks by my count. Let's have some rolls. And it seems we have not gotten far. There is an encounter at noon on the ninth day of Sakaris, and it is time to consult the charts to see what has come. There are dozens of whispering voices from outside, and it is soon after that many claws can be heard upon the door. Whatever is trying to get in is intelligent and determined. And when the wizard summons up his spell, no evil, it is determined that whatever is on the other side assuredly wants them dead. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. I am Ralph! Good night, everyone.